Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hi, Jim. Hey, Dave. How's it going today? Uh, it's all right. We had a work from home day. I think we both did. No, uh, I had a I had a work from work day. Oh, oh God! Well, I had a work from home day, and I didn't work this afternoon, so I'm taking a sick day for the afternoon. Let's just say it was a day that that will live in infamy, at least for the people that had to walk by the men's room. Oh, <laughs> oh yes, it was terrible. Some slumdog chili in there. Oh yeah. And, oh. Anyway, slumdog chillionaire. Slumdog chillionaire. Not without my anus. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> that's a South Park thing, by the way. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Our South Park um, people will uh, recognize the uh, the importance of that movie, not without well, my anus. Well, now that we're past our fecophilia, yes. maybe we should uh, maybe we should clean house. <laughs> yes, why don't we start cleaning house? Uh, so, if you listen regularly, you might want to join the, cha- <laughs> the Practical regularly. Guitarist <laughs> Facebook group, uh, not the Slumdog Chillionaires. And as always, you might want to review us on iTunes. Uh, we appreciate any feedback that people give us is constructive. If it's not constructive, there's a very good chance we might read it on the show. Um, you can reach out to us directly at the Practical Guitars Podcast at gmail.com. And we do monitor and we do answer. So, uh, yes. Okay. I don't so, have anything crazy to say this week, like you know, total obliteration last week. You or don't. You so. don't need to say anything bad for us to read. We can say we can read the good things too. Yeah, yeah. Um, we just, we have read some good things, but yeah. Yep. I want to say that uh, the listenership has continued to grow week after week, regardless of the fact that sometimes we've fallen off the rails here now and again, as I uh, did early in this episode, which may or may not get clipped before. <laughs> No, no, no. We're gonna, we're leaving it in here. Why is it all hey, embarrassing if you stuff can't for take me? But, if you can't take <laughs> butt jokes and poop jokes, yeah. I, like this, this is just too PC for you. Like That's this, right. this, this show is just not going to work for you anyway. That's so true. That is true. <laughs> oh my! So, folks, I mean, let's face it. Toilet humor is the lowest and funniest form of of comedy. So, um, mm-hmm. we were talking. Uh, we've been talking a little bit, and we're gonna we're gonna try to put some video and stuff together. Um, but we've been talking about musical decisions, things that you have to um, decisions you have to make in the moment or planned out in order to uh, put together a solo that you're going to put on a recording or that you're going to uh, do live. So yeah, and like you just do it in the moment, right? Right. So let's talk a little bit. Obviously, I'm a classic rocker. Most of what I do is in a, is, a, is either in a rock, a blues, or the very you know skirting the edges of. Um, and I don't want to use the word jazz, but at least a jazzier thing. So That's, you got some seventh chords in there. That's yeah. There's there's some seventh. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. We've got a couple of seventh chords. In there. All right. All right. So. If that's your context, Jim, you've heard a little bit of my music. Where where am I at? <laughs> I don't even oh, know what yeah. I play. Yeah, that I stuff just... is out there. <laughs> I don't even know what I do anymore. Uh I play music and I play a lot of it. And uh there's some seventh chords in there. Uh actually a lot of bluesy jazz stuff, some hard rock, 
I come from a hard rock context. I, I get all the way up to metal and then I stop because I know where my limits are. Um, I even do some, uh, I even managed to play like flamenco music from time to time, you know, all the thumb tapping and stuff. I don't know what I would call, um, your music. It wouldn't fit into when I put it into a genre, when I put it in rock, I mean, I suppose a, a heavier form of rock. Sure. I don't know if I'd call it metal though. It doesn't fit think, metal. No, I no. go right up to metal and stop. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you quite quite get there. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't put you. Certainly, wouldn't put you in with an, an Iron Maiden or even an Ozzy Osbourne. Um, I guess, I guess, a little harder rock. Like yeah, maybe, it's maybe heavier blues rock or something. I don't know. Yeah, because that's always where I like lean. My my major influences are like Jimi Hendrix and uh, uh, bands like Rival Sons and stuff like that. Um, but I play a lot of other stuff too um yeah so anyway blood jazz blues do you ever do you ever find yourself um pulling from your influences and almost not not exactly note for note but lifting their style and dropping it in here and there sure sure um and and it's it's usually not okay so it's not like hey i'm gonna lift this exact lick that jimmy did like it's more or less like I think the vibe of this song needs the same effect that Jimmy used. So like I'll hear it and I'll go, I want an Octavia here, and I'm gonna do some some high up bends around the twelfth, you know. And it's kind of like I'm gonna reference this sound, and it's more general yeah. than like I'm gonna steal this lick. Yeah, I think I think sometimes like I'll take a um, I, okay. So obviously there are some uh, should I call them cliches. Oh sure, sure. Cliches, like the Chuck Berry cliches. licks that everybody yes. uses. Yeah, the bent um, note uh, going from you know one note up into a uh, where you you're yeah where uh, you do a unison bend right you're doing a unison on the G. bend right from the G with the B and then adding the E to it for that um, yeah that fourth and I think we all use that one sometimes we use the pull offs that yeah. um, go with it. Um, think uh, the descending minor pull off thing yep. is like, yeah, it's a <clears throat> minor triad. And I think we all, when we're playing a, um, when we're playing a tap, I think, I think just about everybody taps in the diatonic to the key. So you look for um, sure. tapping points that are diatonic at least. Um, I, I like to go three to, or at least five breaths up. I know my that, favorite tapping lick, and that is one case where I did rip somebody off. Right. I got a tapping lick that uh, Steve I used in uh, For the Love of God. He uses, the, and I think it's I think it's actually a nine arpeggio. Um, and that just, I ripped that off verbatim, because I use nine chords a lot. Yeah. So Well, it makes sense. <clears throat> Once you start, so let me ask you something. If you were going to solo over something, you ever notice that when uh, some of our favorite guitar gods solo they solo over something that is relatively simple sure uh perfect example uh for me is the solo for um light my fire yeah it's it's two chords it's a it's a chord vamp and it goes on for like seven minutes exactly ridiculous but but you got a you got an organ solo using those chords and you also have a guitar solo using those chords and both solos are great 
Yep. And so when you think about those, that that's a prime example. A great if you're ever going to do um, sit down and mess around with uh, different ways, because the beauty of that two chord vamp is it lends itself not just a blues rock. But you can play a jazz thing over that. You can play a fusion thing over that. Right. I, I really can't think of anything other than maybe metal that wouldn't work over it. Right. And then they hit that Latin rhythm over the top of it, which is really good too. That really fits really well. Uh, and I think metal, even in the right context, if you're, if I mean, depending on what you're doing, you could right. probably use a lot of metal licks in there. It's not going to necessarily sound like metal music. No. Stevie T, get on it. Yeah, Stevie T could do that. I am sure. <laughs> Matter of fact, let's. Uh, I'll, I'll tag him and say we have we have a uh, we have a challenge, challenge for you for you, Mister. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that um, you know when you look at a song like that, which is probably one of the you know, penultimate greatest songs because of the fact that you've got that um, two solos. I mean, that's like um, uh, uh, money by Pink Floyd. Right, and that's another perfect example where they even changed the time signature to make it simpler, right. so that the solo would fit better in context. I mean, that's a perfect example. I believe that song is in five four. Memory it's, serves. It's in seven eight. Is it seven eights, and then it switches to four four, four for the four. solo, and then back to seven eights for the ending. And according to a few um, interviews I've seen with Gilmore, who is um, definitely uh, humble. Um, he said it probably was so that it would easier. It was easier for him to solo. Over oh, the, sure, uh, sure. I I've been working on a a cover of um, Whipping Post, and that song is uh, it's in it's in yeah. twelve eights, yeah, and and eleven eights, yeah. Okay, so the weird... intro parts in eleven eights, and I've been resisting the urge to try and lay down a solo over that eleven eights part because yeah. even though like that's in my wheelhouse and I could pull that off. Yep. It it doesn't fit right in the context of the song and what it's supposed to be, so I have to kind of back off and be like, no, I'm not going to do this. I've got to say that when I... So, Whipping Post, great song. Um, when I think of... Um, uh, what's his name? Dwayne Allman. Um, I think of the the fact that that guy, a lot of people don't know, he was part of Muscle Shoals. Sure, yeah. I mean, that was... And you can hear him too. Like when you listen to those records, yep. I mean, he's there, and yep. it's obviously him. Yeah. Um, yes. A lot of those records were tracked with his uh, with his SG, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So, which is, I think, why Derek Trucks is a big SG player. I yeah, because he he preferred the SG for slide in the studio. That's that's why. Definitely. So. I mean, a, an SG with a slightly high uh, action. Um, I was I saw an interview with the. Uh, Guitar tech for um, oh, what's his name from uh, Leonard Skinnerd? Um, it escapes me, but I know who you're talking Gary, about. Ah, uh, I'll come up with. It. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. He, um, he was talking about how uh, high his action, even when he's not playing slide, because he's so used to playing slide, and it was that whole Freebird thing. Yeah. Well. I, I've heard um, Trucks prefers a lower action, and it's because he actually frets with the slide. Yeah, so. yeah. That's a, a lot of people were wondering how does Trucks sound so much different from other people to do a slide, and that's really what they were figuring out because he frets with his slide. Yeah, he's so lightning fast. He'll make the slide move, and then when he stops in a note, he pushes down, yeah. and like he can pull it off like that in the blink of an eye, 
And it, I mean, it, it shows this his intonation. I mean, he's redefining how to play slide guitar right now. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, he's definitely um, a force to be reckoned with. And when somebody can take something so little and turn it into something that uh, you know others aren't doing, I mean, you know, we we talked about it um, a couple podcasts ago where we talked about how people were tuning down the ni- mm-hmm. the late nineties and the two th- the early two thousands were all about we've we've done the heaviest. Um, album of our lives. Oh, good. You tuned down another half step. Oh, you are so good. And people should so love to hear you. Yeah, he has rubber bands on. Yeah, South Park is is written a um, episode about the brown note. But um, yeah, that's you know that is where it is. Um, you know, I I don't I don't have anything against tuning down. It's just that don't. Don't make it like it's something nobody's ever heard of. No, well, you know that's what what gets me is they like they they poo poo it, and for certain players, I mean, there are reasons why you would want to do it. Oh yeah, I don't. I mean, I kind of laugh because every time I think about this, I think about the um, uh, the video. I forget who it was, but oh, Rob Scout, where he took the he took his guitar and he was going to put the heaviest you know to, to down tune strings make a difference to heavier yep. strings make a difference, and right. so he just kept tuning down and he had to drill out his posts and everything yep. and it just got it got super ridiculous at the end but i don't think that really necessarily hits the heaviness i mean no. like you listen to um some of the heaviest records at least in my mind are the led zeppelin records because and it's not the guitars it's no. the drums it's the drums and and uh some of what the bass is doing not necessarily the tuning of the bass but how the bass is is uh holding things down right right how it fits in the context with the bass and, and the hi-hat and all that yeah. So anyway, uh, we digress. <clears throat> so we wanted to talk more about like specific licks and things we use, I guess, or maybe go back and you want to talk about scales and that kind of thing or how you approach it. I mean, generally speaking, if you're doing one of those simple chord vamps, do you have like a, a go-to thing that you use to like well, start out the phrase or? <clears throat> well, you know, in the beginning, I think I fell into that. Um, uh, go to the octave of the um, of the root of the chord. Play a an arpeggio, typically within the minor um, scale. Yeah, usually work uh, in a rock setting. And they go from there. Usually sticking to. Um, sometimes I'd play quarterly. You know, I'd play like an A chord arpeggio. Then a you know, if I was playing one four five, then D. D chord arpeggios and E chord arpeggios, you know, and blah, 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 that, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's obviously nothing wrong with that. It's, and it's a great way to get started, but eventually everything you do is, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. And it follows that where, um, instead there's a, there's a great thing that, um, Paul Gilbert put out and I, I followed that, which is where, um, I started not, Playing the root when I was playing over a chord. So if I'm playing yeah. over A, don't play an A. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah, avoid playing an A. Yeah, like or at least at the very minimum, don't play it on the first or the downbeat. Yeah. The, the downbeat or the uh, backbeat. You know. Right. So the way that um, he was showing it, you know, stick to the, you know, go with um, like a three, a five, a seven. You know, your four, your flat five. Yeah. You know, your, your blue note. Um, 
and of course you could choose the six or the flat six, you know, depending on where you are. Um, but what was cool about that was by avoiding the route, you became conscious. I think it really just turns on the, it, it makes you think differently and it makes it makes you think about what you're doing. The reason we go to the tropes that we do is because it's we, easy, right? We don't want to think we want yeah. to just play that piece. And we're afraid oh, if I do something out there, I might make a mistake and I don't want a mistake to wind up here. Oh, I make mistakes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, the whole thing is um, like for me and, and I started playing in a totally different way. My, uh, my original guitar instructor was like, here, uh, here's a pentatonic scale. And then here's a diatonic scale, both minor. And then uh, he would play some chords and he'd say, all right, now use it over this. And right. then I would, I would, of course, at first I would just run the scales, you know, and then I started to learn to do bends and slides and tapping and all that stuff and using all the notes from the scale. So it, I just looked at it as like colors of a paintbrush. And re- really, most people realize that chords are the colors of the paintbrush. Right. That maybe the, the actual individual notes are like tones within those chords. But well, I think. I think that you'd be surprised at the number of guitar players who can't tell you the, no- the notes in a chord. One of the things that I do is I, I look for, you know, Paul Gilbert said to, to stay away from the root. And I think what that did was it said, think about what you're playing. And, <clears throat> you, know, I, you know, I started building arpeggios. And when you take an arpeggio, you've got to know the notes of the chord. And there's two things you should know. And, you know, we expect it from bass players. Sure. But for some reason, guitar players, it's like, I just, I just want to play whatever I want. Um, and the thing that we do <laughs> have to, you know, if you're going to come up with something live, and you're, you're out there. and Some people, they just can do it. They can just, they, they start playing. And it, and it comes out of their hands beautifully, you know, because every, everybody wants to be that woman or that man. They want to be that person that can, oh, I'm able to create this yeah musical. i could just i could just sweat music you know right and i'm not one of those people you know some people aren't good at math i'm i'm like i'm that way with math i mean so you've got to be able to okay how do i do this and so what what i'm very surprised with um is how many guitar players don't know the notes of a chord yeah i started to say this but i I don't okay, so I can build a chord in my head if right. you give me the root note. Yep. Um I I don't like if you say, you know, what are the what are the uh notes in a in a B uh diminished chord? Right. I know it's BDF. Right. You know, and so like I can kind of figure it out real quick, but I don't I mean I don't know them. I it's just something that like I use. Well, um Okay, so it, yeah, but let's say let's say this. It, there's 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 three things you should three chords you should be able to build your fifth chord your major chord and your minor chord in your head right just like that yeah and i can do that just for the like most that. part i think anybody should be able to do that and if you can't all you got to do is say okay where's my one three and five and where's my one minor three and five and if you can't figure that out you know how to make a minor chord write those notes down just write them down and go oh wait some of those notes repeat I don't need to write them twice. I don't need to re- write B twice to do to figure out a B minor, right? I used to make these fretboard maps when I was in high school. I was in study yeah. hall, and of course, I'm not going to study. 
No. So I'd, I'd take a piece of notebook paper and I, I would do it every day. And that's how I learned the fretboard in terms of like, okay, so the E and the A strings, like that's basically all the notes I know on the guitar. Like this is this note, this is this note because the E repeats that, that helps you a lot. Yep. But the A string, those are where you, where your root notes for most chords are most of the time. Right. So knowing that was like a huge benefit. Um, but basically like the way that I, I approach chords, I know all the major minor chords and then I just transpose from, from a major C or a minor C major. Right. And then I just transpose. That's yeah. And that's pretty much what I do because that's the middle of the fretboard. I can, I can move in and out from there. Um, and the other thing that, um, and I did it more, um, I became more conscious of it when I started playing bass, um, was how do, what if I run out of space? Like, let's say you're playing what you would normally play in the fifth position. You're playing it open. Oh, I can't go to the negative one play. Where do right. I go from there? And so, right. by doing that, I learned a little more, I'd say, command. I'm certainly not a commander of the fretboard. I mean, I can't, I can't name you 47 different. Um, I know the seven basic modes. <laughs> I know, and I know the seven <laughs> after that. Yeah, and and to be honest, I mean, I could build a diminished chord, but only because I sat down and memorized. Well, so that's the thing I've been working on. Um, obviously, major, minor. Everybody's got some experience with major, minor. Uh, scales, not chords. Right. Uh, probably chords as well. I would right. hope. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you have like your pentatonic major, your pentatonic minor. Right. I just started using the pentatonic major. You but know, the funny, funny thing is, I was using the color tones. Yep, that were from the pentatonic major, and I've been using them for years. I, mean, I just you, didn't know why. You know, it's funny because you you talk about that when I when I went to learn. I, I want to say it was Andy Eldor. It might have been Troy Statina. One of those two. I read a um article by one of them and it was it, okay so you want to play in pentatonic major because let's say you're going to play southern rock southern rock and southern blue all in the major scale right well yep. i'm playing an a what do i do well yeah. look for the you use a pentatonic major or a pentatonic minor look for the relative look for the relative major if right I'm in a minor if i'm used to playing a minor What's my relative major? And See, so if I can find the relative minor to the major chord I'm in, like let's say it's G, right? What's my relative right. minor? Uh, B, G is uh, E. Right. So it's E. So <clears throat> why, folks, do you think that a lot of your southern rock songs are in G and a lot of your rock songs are in E? Because, because they're the same they're relative. <laughs> they're relative right. to each other. They're the same in that um, and that's where we get to modes. They're the same in that they can both use, take advantage of, I should say, a lot of your open notes. Well, a lot of the G scales. Mixolydian, that, right? Yeah. yeah Mixolydian, I, or this way, Ionian, Aeolian, yeah. Mixolydian, Locrian, Phrygian, and they're all on different scalar degrees. It's basically the same scale, just starting from different notes. Right. And emphasizing different chord tones, essentially. Correct. It's um, where you put the emphasis. A lot of people I get asked hung up on I that asked, mode thing. I asked in a um I asked in a forum not too long ago because again, I didn't learn the modes. I've been using them, but I didn't know exactly what it was called and mm -hmm. like how, how to actually go about generating a song using those modes. Right. So 
I started to ask around in this forum, uh, and I forget where it was at, but I said, that, you know, you guys are all theory buffs. So mm-hmm. how do you write a progression right. that highlight that that instinctively tells you to use one of these modes? Nobody can tell me. No one. Isn't that funny? You know why? Some of those are Berkeley graduates. Yeah. You know no why? One. Because it really hasn't any rule set. No, Anybody it, here's the thing about music. <clears throat> and if you're if you're confused about it, think of music like this. Music is a language. If you grew up learning the English language, you speak it the way that you learned it. We all have different colloquialisms. You're from Chicago, so you have crappy pizza. No. But <laughs> cuz I'm from New York. We got New York pizza. You got a fucking cracker with cheese ah, sauce shut on it. Shut up. I come over there. You wait yeah. until we see. Um, I see you in June, by the way. Yeah, you're going to bring your cracker. <laughs> I'm going to bring a cracker with some cheese and sauce on it. Yeah. No, but um, so if you're going to take um, uh, uh, the language, we learn different colloquialisms. That doesn't mean the way you might say something is wrong or the way I say something is wrong. It just means that it's different. And that's, that's the application of music. If you can, but the thing is, you should learn the building blocks. We didn't, we didn't need to learn anything past, really. We didn't need to learn anything past how to spell. Okay, there's your scale, right? There's your, yep. I mean, your notes. I, I know, you know, A, you know, A sharp, B flat, B, C, um, C, you know, right. where my sharps and flats were and all that. <clears throat> um, so you don't have to know anything more than that. Conjugating verbs. We all did it. Is, are, was, were, has, have, had, right? We all had to go through it. Um, how, to, how to turn um, letters into sentences, or words, letters into words and words into sentences. Aren't That's we doing phrasing. the same thing with music? It's, it's phrasing. phrasing. Exactly. Yeah. The, my decision to go, she ain't right, or she is not right, is dependent on what? Rhythm. Phrasing. Right. My audience. What do, how, how do I expect it to come across? the person that's listening well that's true yeah i mean you dictate it based on the audience right right so what is my message and who do i expect to hear it so if i sing a certain way or play a certain way or you know make a decision of what to play it's based on what do i want it to sound like again that's why i use those yeah i use that um unison bend because it works in a blue setting it tells somebody right away when i go I, I'm about to say, oh, this guy is about to rip into a blues rock thing. They yeah. know it because it's been done so many times. So we're talking about scales, and I yeah. and I kind of got derailed. But what, so I've been working on major pentatonic because I never used it before. Now I'm like using it a lot. Uh, but the one the one scale, actually the two scales that I use a lot that I'm starting to develop more is uh the uh diminished scale and the whole tone scale and i think that's more the yeah. jazz context coming out yeah the but whole the whole tone. i yeah. the whole idea is to make things more interesting yep. and so if i could just throw in a couple of whole tone things here and there like it just it helps me not be spread so you know tightly around these you know core licks that we all have yep. and use over and over anybody that yeah so for those who wonder the whole tone scale means that you never play it's all half steps. two notes right that that are against you. And then the uh, diminished scale is whole steps. Correct. 
No. It, no. It's whole, every four. four. Whole st- right. Right. Yeah. It's it's so it's it, uh, perfect fourths. I think they would call that or tritones. Yeah. Tritones. Which is how the diminished scale. That's how it works. You just work yeah. in the tritone. Right. So if you have one of those wheels where you can set your, your force and fist, you can just follow the wheel in a circle and follow it in the yeah. force direction. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't think people will necessarily, when they get into studying this stuff, realize that when you're playing a diminished scale or a whole tone scale, it has all 12 notes in it. Right. It's just a sequence in which you play them. Yep. One of the things that, right, because because remember, you're working in the fourths, but you're working in a circle, you will you will then skip. Remember, we got that's the thing that that um, you learn right away is you got twelve notes, but you got seven notes, but twelve. Well, twelve notes, but there seven, are twelve tones in Western 12 music. Tones, thank you. Twelve and tones it, in Western music, but um, seven in the diatonic scale. In the diatonic scale, so you're moving in an with an even number across an odd pattern. What I'm trying right. to get at, right? Or and an odd course, number against an even pattern, depending on which way you're going. And then we can let we can let history dictate the fact that some notes have sharps and flats. Yes. Some don't. <laughs> and <clears throat> you know, if you get into uh into it, you know, when you start to sight read, which by the way, almost everybody that um I've heard talk about it in the professional world says sight reading is dead. But anyway, um Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, what I've heard it's too. dead. It's it's a useless um uh thing unless you're unless you're being called You're doing in, film scores. Right, to do a film score or a um something like that or or um it's not useless if you get up to use um you know the fake book because the fake book will have some stuff that helps you um where that yeah like it might have the melody in there right you see yeah so um and fake books are great by the way oh yeah they are but um uh especially if you're called in at the last minute to to play something but the thing that um what i was getting at is this You, you so you go into um, a situation. Let's let's go into a situation, and you you get told you get told okay. Like I'll tell you, I make up a different solo every time I play. Um, we we do a cover of um in the air tonight. The solo right. is different every time I play it because there is no solo in the original song. <laughs> exactly, and so we play. Well, um, what's there is, face? but what's his face played a solo. Um, had Sturmer. One with a solo. Huh? Sturmer. Da- no, Daughtry has a version with a guitar. Solo. Oh, that, that, that's right. I don't know if it's Tremonti. But, but Sturmer, was the, Sturmer was the original guitar player in that track. Correct. Because everybody, um, everybody in Phil Collins' band came right out of Genesis. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And so I, when I go to play that, every time I do it, I play it differently. Do you know why? Because it's the one time all night long, nobody has any, any expectation of what they're going to hear. Right, none. I can, I can do whatever I want. I play however I want to play, and no one has an expectation. So I can go. I can go like this week. I'm working on this. So, for example, this week I'm working on um, using um, where I'm skipping the root. So this week I won't play a D the whole time I play that song. I now, had something to say, but the, then I just no. The, I know. Well, we got toilet humor. Um, I used to. I I used to. Well, you you brought out something I wasn't even thinking about, but yeah, I could have said that too. 
Um, I, I'm thinking about like I use technical limitations on myself. You're like, I'm not going to use a D. I'm like, I'm only going to play with three fingers. Like you know, that. <laughs> I, I've, I've done that where okay, so sometimes I'm gonna play I'll like say, Django. Okay, I'm know? only going to play. I'm only going to play with my my. Um, uh, I'm going to not use my middle finger, and I'm only going to use yeah. these three fingers: the index, the the um, uh, ring, and the pinky. I've also done times where I said, okay, you're only going to use your index and pinky. I mean, your ring and your yeah. pinky. Yeah, and that's like Django figuring right there. Yeah. Like, and so that's if you're kinda... only going to use these two little guys right here, your weakest fingers, how are you going to get across that fretboard on these two fingers? Let me tell you something. You suddenly it, become... It, it will turn you into a man yes, very quickly. Even you <laughs> ladies, you will you will feel more masculine when you're done. <laughs> All of a sudden, you'll have man hands, as, as, as uh, Seinfeld called it. Yeah, because uh, it, it 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 is the widowmaker. <laughs> if I was to give, if if I was to tell anybody, um, this is what I do with my students: is if I tell somebody, okay, they they say, they, oh, I want to I want to learn the notes on the uh, the scale. I say, you know what? It's not important. Don't worry about the notes on the scale yet. Do this. I want you to um, play this. And what I do is I I show them um, intervals. I say, now, I'm going to show you the intervals, and that's where we're going to start, because the notes aren't important yet. They're not. No, they really because are. What happens is when you get stuck in notes, <clears throat> it's just like when we start learning. We don't know letters yet, but we learn words, right? We learn mama, and we learn dada, and we learn, you know, ball. You learn, yeah, you learn phrases, basically, like short phrases. Right. What's that? That's a great one, right? When they're little, what's that? What's that? Yeah. Or what I'm talking about. But, um, so <clears throat> we learn those little phrases. Those, those I identify musically as intervals. They're basic movement of words. They're little things. You could play a whole song just doing it, little intervals. Like one. Sure. One three one five one three one five three five three five three five one three five. There are right? songs that have three notes in them. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's amazing to me when my kid brings home, uh, you know, books from her music class, and I look at it and I go, "This melody has like three notes in it," and then she plays it, and I'm like, "Eh, all right." <laughs> like, you just fear it's going to be some kiddie thing, but then you hear it, and you're like, "Eh, okay, three, it's passable." Three blind mice. What is it? Six notes. Yeah, something like that. So, um, if you take um, a song that where you you play it basically, let's let's talk about um, a song that's got one note in the whole solo, one note, and that's um, "I Want to Be Sedated." Yeah, and you yeah. just play E on the E on the fifth fret of the D string or the B string, and that's it. And then what do you? What can you do to add to it? You know what I do? Just hit the open one. I hope I hit the open E. <laughs> I add a little something to it. Even though I have actually had people tell me you play that wrong. Oh my God! You're kidding me. Oh, who cares? <laughs> who cares? And then you know what I do to make it dissonant? You know when it moves up to the F sharp. What I do is I I um then play the F sharp against the E. So it's. It's playing a seven against the one at that point because it's, it's modulated. That reminds which, me. 
And then I have people go, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. What are you kidding? You actually care? (laughs) Speaking of of people telling you you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I got up there. uh, We were sound checking. And um, there were people in the club. And so me and the the drummer who were already set up, we start playing uh, the immigrant song. And uh, I, okay, yeah, I can I love play that song. it. Okay. Yeah, well, so yeah, like, sure I can play can. it. It's easy. It's, it's yep. the best octave riff I can think of. Yep. And I'm playing the song and the guy comes up and he's, he comes up after we're done and he's, he starts talking to the drummer. No, he, he doesn't do it like that. And <laughs> the, the drummer, the drummer looks at me and goes, you want to do it? Yeah. I you just, I it? just sat there and laughed. Like, are you serious, dude? Like, are you getting paid to do this? Like, I cannot stand people like that. Here's the thing about um, people that get caught up in in note-for-note replications of solos. They forget one thing. It works, what works in the studio, I think we've said this before, what works in the studio doesn't necessarily mean that it will translate well to a live setting. And I don't care what instrument you're playing, the drums, the keys, the bass, the guitar, the vocals, does not necessarily um, translate well. Sometimes, yeah, go ahead. Especially if you have a product that has a mistake in it that right. is timeless, because those mistakes are often not repeatable. No. Uh, perfect example, and I can't remember the name of the song, but it's a, a Kirk Hammett Metallica. Yep. He he bends a note. He he takes a uh, I believe it's an E mm-hmm. string note, and he bends it up, and it it of course frets out off the fretboard, and oh, it yeah. just magically makes contact with the edge of the fret, yep. and it plays the perfect note. Yep, and he can't replicate it live. Nope, nope. but it's there on the record. Right. We're going to use the wavy pedal? <laughs> well, that's what Dave Gilmore does. And oh, very well. Dave Gilmore is also a mad genius. Yes, he is an insane genius. I love everything that man, that man does musically. Um, so, and he reminds me of my father-in-law. There I see him. He looks just like my father. Yeah. Um, anyway, <clears throat> um, so the thing that uh, uh, I think we get at is when you go to play, you make decisions. Now, I play 86753 on iJetty. Every time that I do that, I have to play that opening riff. That's got to be note for note. Okay? Yeah. That F sharp, that F sharp minor pentaton, or I mean, uh, um, F sharp minor arpeggio uh, that I play in the beginning, that's got to be exact. Pinball Wizard. We used to play that one. Same thing. Pinball Wizard. Same thing. You got to play that exact. But when I get to the solo of, of 86753 on iJetty, there are five notes I play the same every time. I play the first three notes exactly the same. I play, well, I guess that's the first ten notes the same. And then the last two notes the same. Okay. And that's it. But I will change that up every single time. Now, it might be that I decide, you know what, today I'm going to practice a little of this. I'm going to play it hit. And then I'm going to play it legato. free. Legato. Or I'm gonna I'm gonna um, step into it instead of doing two notes, it's gonna be three notes. And I'm gonna try to fit a triplet where he has a, has two notes. So instead of it's and I turn it into weedly 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 weedly, you know. And then it's needly 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 before it's over with. Exactly. And it, <laughs> and I only get that short what what is that two bar solo? I only get a bar and a half of it. Like I, I think <laughs> it's so funny ass. though, because because he's a cover musician. So yeah. you go into a, to this with this mindset, 
like I'm going to do this solo, like let's say an ACDC song. Yeah. I'm going to do Back in Black, which yeah. I don't even know if he performed that, but we're going to yeah. do Back in Black and we're going to do it exactly the way they did in the recording. They don't even do it that way. No, They, they don't even do it that way. They go, it, out, they go out, it's a new solo every single night. If you tied Angus Young's hands that way, I don't think that he would be the same to everybody as he is. I think he would be um, someone that no one would care about. And, I, and, you know, that's the hatred people have when I hear people and the hate, and I say hate in a, um, a kind of a weird term, but um, for, uh, you ever heard people that can't stand the Eagles? Can't stand sure. the Eagles because they're so, like, perfect. Every time you see them live, it is exact. Yeah, exactly. no, that's exactly the same problem. And but because their music leans more to the pop side of things, yep. they can get away with that. They can. Whereas, whereas ACDC, yes, they are on the poppy side of hard rock. The reality is, everybody knows what that band is. I mean, it's a, it's a blues rock band, and you don't go to a blues show expecting BB King to play the the solo on that album, note for note. You not obviously you you obviously have not heard "Girls Got Rhythm." <laughs> because that is definitely not a, a top ten pop song waiting to be happen. I'll tell you. Oh that. no, I know, but I mean, I'm just thinking like the the way that most people perceive that man. Because like, yes, yes, do. I love the early albums. Like that's yes, my sure. thing. But uh, pretty much a lot of people are more into the stuff after Back in Black. Yeah, you know? I can't really. I I'm good even with the first three Brian Johnson albums. I can go right up to um, uh, or should I say the first two, uh, Back in Black and For Those About to Rock. After that. Uh, fly on the wall and stuff like that. I like Thunderstruck, the song. I like I Who Made I Who, the song. Don't really like that one either. But for the most part, that that part of the catalog can stay where it is. It can stay on the shelves. But but the stuff with Bon Scott and all the way through to that point, yeah. you know, Care of the Devil. Um, I, Let I don't the think we rock. I don't think there was a blues. You know what? You know what? Blues rock song over overlooked under saying blues rock song that's just incredible is if you get a chance to have a drink on me acdc have a drink on me. oh gosh yeah that's have incredible a drink on me. yeah it's it's probably so <clears throat> yeah go ahead the album that i think of that had the biggest impact on me blues rock that had me learning to do the solos properly and starting to think about the way that i structured things is actually uh, Robert Charles' Bridge of Size. Mm -hmm. And if any of our listeners have not heard that record, it is a masterpiece, and it's a forgotten masterpiece largely. And I would highly recommend you go get it. So I was 14, and I heard a song called Eruption. Yeah. Matter of fact, all week I've been listening to, I've been pouring myself into that album, that first Van Halen album. Yeah. And let me tell you something. For me, just for me, that is that is a eleven song song, one song, just that goes yeah. eleven songs long. For me, yeah, that, I can see that. That was the epitome. I mean, there's a lot of them. I love ACDC, you know, like I said, um, uh, Pink Floyd, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> but for me, the epitome of um, an AOR, which was album oriented rock, that was that was right there. They knew exactly how to write. It was it was stringing songs together to make a song, make one song you can sing all the way through. I just pulled up the track list so I could remind myself what's on there. But yeah, Jamie's here. crying. I that that drum thing came on when a friend of mine was in the car, and he goes, "Oh, Tone Luke." 
Run it with the devil. Yep. yep. Uh, feel your love tonight. Yep. Little dreamer. Ice cream man. Yep. And on fire. Yeah, it's a great album. Atomic like, punk. I, it's been a while since I've listened to it. That's why I need to look at the atomic punk. The the rhythm in atomic punk. You can literally dance to the most heavy song on that album. Atomic punk. On the atomic punk. And and he's just like. His voice is just gone at that point in the night. He's like, oh, I'm the atomic punk. <laughs> then you've got, I'm your ice cream man. Stop me when I'm yep. passing by. I mean, just great, great stuff. Van Halen 2 is no slouch either. Oh, no. Van Halen 1, 2, 3, Diver Down, Women and Children First. Come on. That no, was, that was it. What's that? I was going to say 50 was 50 and just to screw no, you up. But, uh, no. Jump is the last one. Jump. 1984. 1984. That's what the, the album. Yeah. 1984. Jump was on that. Yeah. And then it was like, uh, and everybody was like, I can't believe Eddie Van Halen played keyboards. He'd been doing it the whole time. He just kind of hit it. Yeah. Like, you know, a world suit through a Marshall stack. Yep. Yep. He'd been hiding it. I'm hiding my keyboard ability. Yeah, I remember when they asked, they said to him, they said, that's why, have you ever played the solo to jump, the guitar solo? Which one? To jump. You know, uh, yeah. Well, jump, yeah. jump. Yep. Yeah. I've learned the uh, synth part on guitar, too. Well, <clears throat> you ever notice that the, if you play the guitar part with a band, it doesn't work in the song. It's like, really, no. it's like a totally, it's because they said, hey, People aren't going to like this. You are a guitar hero. You need a guitar part. He said, I don't want to put a guitar part in there. You're going to put a guitar part in there. So he purposely played a part. If you listen, I mean, the whole song changes. He doesn't just change time signature. It's like the whole song changes. Yeah. It's like they just, they just, hey, cut that solo out of that other song and put it over here. That's pretty much what he wanted it to feel like. He didn't care that he, but that's the genius. I mean, Eddie Van Halen, <clears throat> Love him or hate his personality. Fucking musical genius. Just fucking. Well, so yeah, this is we're talking about Bridge of Sighs. I mean, you've heard that before, right? I mean, yes, you've heard that whole yes, long time ago. It, yeah, um, there's some stuff he does on there that, like, even totally has set me back and made me question, like, what I'm doing. Right. I, that's that's one of the things that like keeps me coming back to that album. Even now, like if, if I'm in the car and I'm just like I need to put some music on, like that's one of the first albums that comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I I have diverse tastes. Like I've learned a lot of Van Halen one. Uh, I've learned two. I've learned the songs that nobody wants to learn, like Dance the Night Away. Um, yep, Dance the <laughs> Night Away. It's pretty much. Jump. There's some great rhythm work on that <laughs> song. I'm telling you. I, I, that's what I was saying about Atomic Punk. A friend of mine was like, no, nah, there's not. And then I played it for him. He's like, yeah, that is a danceable song, man. We're thinking about putting that in the band um, lineup. Atomic Punk. I so want to do that song. because that's, that's a great end of the night. Just rip that out. Sure. I'm the Atomic Punk! You know, your voice is gone and you're just ripping it out. Um, I you've have, got that... I, yeah, that MXR pedal that that is the phaser is rocking on that song. Yeah, I know, I know that phaser is like makes the whole thing into mush. Oh, I love that. So, can you believe? I remember trying to get that sound out of my guitar, and just like I was using a Doppler effect, I would move my head. Like, <laughs> 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 
That's hilarious. <laughs> and it's so funny because I know people worked really hard to get that sound for so many years. And, it and all was it was just, is a phase 90 turned on. Yeah, like, a phase 90. In the lowest setting, turned yep. on. And he and used it almost all the time. Now, uh, there's a guy on YouTube who, do, who does these sounds, um, like classic sounds off records with actual like pedals and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, his name is James Santiago. Yeah. He does a lot of stuff for Voodoo Labs. Okay. Now, he does the Van Halen original sound with pedals, and one of the things he talks about is gain staging pedals. And it's really mm. interesting because he talks about how the Phase 90 has a peculiar way that when you run certain pedals into it and certain pedals after it, the, the way that it interacts with those pedals. Yep. And that's where that sound comes from. It's yeah. not just a Phase 90 into a Plexi. Like, there's other pedals in the chain that, that have a big impact on that. You know, one of the things that <clears throat> we're getting we're getting up to our hour. One of the oh, things yeah. that um, uh, you got to remember when you're when you're choosing your effects and you think about if you're trying to get that older sound, not everybody's trying to do trying to get that older. Got to remember that we didn't have true bypass. We didn't have a lot of the stuff that you have now. So they weren't really trying that hard. These were these were people creating pedals. It's like, hey, um, uh, yeah, like the first wah pedal. First wah pedal wasn't even meant for guitar. And- well, with the exception of like Jimi Hendrix, because he had Roger Mayer basically building him stuff out of existing chassis that yes, would do but, what he wanted it to do. But yes, he but, was like a rare exception. Yes. And th- you're thinking of the fuzz face and the octaver. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Octaver, Octaver. I don't know. Um, Octavia. Yeah. Octavia. Um, that, <clears throat> but he had a certain sound in mind, but that doesn't mean the person knew what to do. I mean, think about that early Echoplex. It was two tape. It was a tape machine. Yeah. You know? It, it was literally Les Paul's idea, basically. Yeah, you had a cassette, and it would. And if you think about it, you know the old that old Echoplex that that had its own built-in phasing because yeah, the of the way it the worked, tape was automatically phasing, yeah. right? It was just it was just a killer thing. I mean, not we could go on for days about that, and that's probably <clears throat> folks. If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna make choices. What we were getting at, I think, early on is if you're going to make choices about what to play and you've got, you've got, you wonder, oh, how should I do this? You know, uh, drop us a line. Say, hey, yeah, what would, there's an infinite number of ways and maybe we can suggest some stuff uh, and we could talk about it on the podcast. And that's a big thing uh, because like, I I can tell you this right now, writing songs and going into the studio or, or, you know, just in the moment. Uh, you got to think about number one, what you're going to emotionally gel with number two, what's going to fit the song. And that's probably the bigger issue. Yeah. When it comes to studio time, you want to make sure you're ready to go. Um, so, but live, you can make mistakes. Mistakes are in the moment. Don't worry about what goes up on Facebook. If if you make a mistake, make it twice. Exactly. It's jazz. Just make it twice, and and make sure you figure out a good context to get your ass out of it. That's right. It, the, the one thing that um, uh, you want to do if you're you're um, doing a solo and you're and you're improvising over anything, you know, is what do I want to say? I had um, I've, I've got a little story for that. So um, I, I'm in a praise and worship praise and worship thing, and 
He said, hey, Jim, do a solo over right here. There's two bars right here. Do a solo over this. And I said, I don't have anything to say. It's two bars. And, yeah. And they said like this. They said, what does that mean? <clears throat> Musically, you ever heard somebody say, I, I don't have anything to say, and they're talking about music? It means that I wouldn't know what to hum over that except the vocal melody. Well, that, to me, yeah. that's just boring. You know what I mean? All right, all right. So here is here is um here is the the final tip I want to give before we close out the episode. And and yes, I do I do get what you're saying, Jim, completely. And I and hope it's kind of t- to and this it ties into that. Good. So one of the things that I've seen uh, when somebody says I want to sit down and I want to write a solo for for a recorded piece of music uh, is somebody will sit there and they'll literally just sing along. You know, da 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 da, and they come up with a melody doing that, and then they figure out how to play it on guitar. Now, this works, and I can tell you it works great. And guys like like David Gilmore have been using this for years to come up with these these lines. The trick is when you're doing it live, is you have to be able to do that in your head in the moment. Oh yeah, and that's that was my thing. I. I just didn't want to repeat what the singers had already done. Well, first sure. of all, first of all, I will I will give you um, no offense to everybody in my praise and worship team. We have some of the worst singers on this side of praise and worship, but we love everyone, and we are very inclusive. I'm just glad that they're actually praising something. That's right, and we are glad that they're praising. Um, so let's just say there are five. Vocal personalities on that stage, each of which um, is doing their own thing. I'm reminded of of every week that I go to praise and worship. I'm reminded of Pink Floyd saying, "And when the band you're in starts playing different tunes, <laughs> that's one thing." And so when I think of the vocal melody, yes, I do have something vocally, and I could easily translate. And that's that's something. If you really want to um, start looking at what can I do, I'm sitting around and watch TV or whatever. Get a little get a little lunchbox app like. A, um, what is it, Katana Mini or the Black Star Fly 3 or something like that, little thing. Watch a commercial, play it. Play the commercial. Play the music you hear on television. Yep. Play the theme to your, you know, your favorite song. Da-da-da, da-da-da. You know, obviously I'm a um, big uh, Family Feud fan. Um, you know, or uh, any of that stuff. I mean, Barry Manilow wrote, you know, be a pepper, she's a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper? To be a pepper. That was Barry Manilow. He uh, he's also the one who wrote "Like a Good Neighbor." State Farm is there. Um, he wrote this. Uh, as a matter of fact, live back when I saw him in the seventies, he had this whole um, thing he did where he played all of the yeah um, the jingles the jingles he did. If you can ever find that, you'll go holy crap! That was Barry Manilow. Um, but anyway, point is, they are real songs. Play them. Play them. Learn to play them. Sure. And if you if you can't think of something to play over um, a piece, that's exactly what I would say. Just what you did. Sing over it. Doesn't have to be words. You should hear. Um, was it uh, that great monster or some great monster? What was the um, some kind uh, of monster? Some kind of monster. Metallica, right? Yeah. Watch that. Watch James Hetfield, and he just goes in, and when he's when he doesn't have real lyrics, he's like. <laughs> He just does that, and he's like, "I got you know, it's, I'm going to put lyrics in there at some point." But he's 
but he's got a melody in his head. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's the same idea when you're going to play the song. Do it. Do it. Sing something, whether it's in your head. It's better if you can sing it with your mouth. You don't have to be a good singer. You really don't. Right. Because right. nobody's going to hear you. You're not on mic. But at least this way you can hear it in your head and you can create with your, your hands. Just hum. That's why I start kids with, with um, intervals. If you can hum intervals, you can hum a solo. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> Maybe you should have gone the other way with that one, Jim. <laughs> I'm sure that kid got hit a few times. Boink. <laughs> anyway, uh, how many teeth did he? No, never mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, along with what Jim's saying, I want to I want to give Jim some credit here. Praise and worship music in general is written to be sung by the congregation, and so the melodies have to be easy to follow which yep. usually results in there not really being a lot of extra room to come up with something. No. It's it's very restrictive in the sense that these are your chords, and it's set up for this melody, and this melody is clearly outlined within the chords, so you're kind of stuck. And, and so... Yep, and that's why you find a lot of those guys have those uh, big pedal boards with the with the ethereal sounds and the ambient. Because that's, that's, that's really the only way they can get you yeah. know their personality into it. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. I'd, if I had a big sky and a, um, you know, or a DD five hundred, I'd be doing the same thing. But I want to be. I want to be simple. You want to be sedated. I want to be sedated and play an E, and then F sharp against E. <laughs> and with that, all right, all right, all right, all right. We're, we are the practical guitarists, and so are you. That's right. And we want you to be more practical. Please, please write us. Ask us questions. Join the Practical Guitarist Facebook group, review us on iTunes, or reach out to us directly at practicalguitaristpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can also DM us. Isn't that the, the direct term? message? Yes. I don't want to start getting Tinder messages no. or something. Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> I do answer my Facebook messages. It's not Tinder. I don't know what tender is. I don't. Yeah, I actually don't have it either because you know I'm married. So, yeah. yep. So thanks. I've been Jim. I've been David, and this has been the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Sure has. <laughs> <laughs>